There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. What is the evil eye? Is it something we need to be concerned about? Is it something we need to protect ourselves against? Is it found in the Bible? I believe you'll be surprised by the answers to those questions. First, let me describe what it is. It's a superstition primarily believed by many different cultures, especially in Northern Africa and in the Mideast, that a curse can be cast on another person by a malevolent kind of glare. And it's usually given to a person that's totally oblivious to this happening. Many cultures believe that receiving the evil eye will cause misfortune or even catastrophic problems and injuries. Others believe that an evil eye is protection against that happening. And it, in a sense, reflects that malevolent glare back to the one who wished harm to begin with. So it's like evil being released against evil. It's like witchcraft fighting witchcraft. It's witchcraft on both sides because there's various talismans and amulets that are supposedly worn to protect against the evil eye. And those very objects are called evil eyes. Very strange. I've read that this concept is actually embraced by about 40% of the world's adult population. So it's not an uncommon belief. The idea appears many times in Jewish rabbinic literature. One popular charm that is supposedly used to ward off the evil eye is called the hamsa. Is a word meaning five because of the five fingers on the hand, and it consists of the palm of the hand with an eye in the center of it. It's popular on jewelry, again, in the Mideast area, especially in Northern Africa. The Egyptian eye of Horus is a similar kind of symbol of protection and good fortune and good health, for those who believe in it, of course. Strangely, the Kabbalah Center in Los Angeles years ago promoted very heavily something called a red string bracelet that was worn by Madonna and others who were attending the LA Kabbalah Center at that time because supposedly the evil eye that it uh, warred against or fought against could cause a person not to reach his or her full potential. You can go on the web and look it up yourself. Look up Kabbalah Center, that's K-A-B-B-A-L-A-H, Kabbalah Center of Los Angeles, and look up Red String Protection Bracelet. 
and I'm reading from the internet right now, it says the original red string bracelet is a powerful amulet for protection against evil eye and negative energy. According to the Kabbalah, envy from others and evil eye prevents us from reaching our full potential. Is that true? And is wearing a red string protection against such a thing? I believe very passionately that true Christians would never embrace such practices. Our protection comes from a covenant relationship with God who watches over us. According to Psalm 121, the Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. I don't need a red string around my wrist when I've got the creator of the universe watching over me. And to depend on that little red string or some other kind of charm or amulet is an insult to him because he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. There's no power in some red string or some piece of jewelry. You may believe that there's power in that, and you may assume that certain fortunate things that happen to you are the result of that charm, but again, it's witchcraft on a certain level. I believe we should do as Moses did, who, according to Hebrews 11.27, endured as seeing him who is invisible. The invisible covenant we have with God and the invisible presence of his spirit around us is far more powerful than anything that people depend upon for this uh, kind of scenario. Now, what about the evil eye in the Bible? Can you find it in the Bible? Yes, you can. And this is what got me interested in this podcast and producing this for you so that you could dig into it also. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 9, listen, it talks, well, actually, it's a warning against the mistreatment of fellow Hebrews who are because of an impoverished condition in the position of being a slave or a servant to someone else, an indentured kind of servant. And it says, Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. In other words, uh, the Jewish person who had accepted another person's enslavement or servitude in payment for a debt would not pay them because they know the seventh year is about to happen. And so that person's going to be released and they're not going to have a very long time in that position of servitude. And so they neglect to give them any kind of financial remuneration. And God called that having an eye that was evil against another person. So an evil eye, according to that scripture, is hardness of heart and scorn and lack of compassion toward those who are in a needy position. And there's more support for that in scripture. 
In Proverbs 28, verse 22, it says, A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. So again, it speaks of greed. It speaks of selfishness. It speaks of not caring about other people's plight if they're in a bad condition financially or materially. And that if you just pursue riches, you may well lose them just as quickly as you gain them or even quicker. And it says a man with an evil eye hastens after riches, walking over top of other people to get to the goal of success and in the process damaging others and doesn't consider that those kind of things come back on you. Jesus actually used this phrase one time, and I found it very interesting that he did. In Matthew chapter, or Mark rather, Mark chapter 7, verse 14 through 23. When he had called all the multitude to himself, Jesus said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed, listen now, evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So would an evil eye be a tendency to look at people with animosity, to look at people with hostility and within a person's heart to wish evil upon that person, to wish disaster upon that person, which kicks into kind of a witchcraft mode, whether that person realizes it or not. I think it's interesting to dig into and see what Jesus must have meant. Now, he did reference something similar in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 23, in the Sermon on the Mount. And I've touched on this in a previous podcast. He said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust does corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then, dovetailing with that statement, he says, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? And then he capped off the whole statement with this. No man can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
Now, that whole passage is about materialism versus spirituality. When I was a yoga teacher back in 1970, we used to use that one line to teach that Jesus actually advocated a belief in the third eye, but he wasn't even referencing some kind of spiritual energy center in the middle of the forehead that uh, needs to be activated so a person can achieve oneness with God. No, absolutely not. He was talking about having an eye that is single toward a spiritual walk through this world, walking in the love of God, walking in the truth, walking in the light. But prior to that, he talked about people who seek after material treasures. And then at the end, he talked about the fact that you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is material riches, and it carries with it the idea of riches that are almost idolized by those who go after them. It just consumes them, where that becomes the idolatrous goal of their lives. And he said, if your eye is evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if you are that kind of person that has no compassion on the needy, you have no compassion on those who are hurting financially, you're just out for selfish gain, then you have an evil eye, according to this passage of Scripture, because you're not looking on the world with a sensitivity to the pain of others. You're self-focused. You're looking internally for your own good. Now, the complete Jewish Bible, interestingly, translates that same passage, Matthew 6, 22, in a way that Jewish people would interpret it because of their connection with the Old Testament. And listen to it. In the complete Jewish Bible, it says, if you have an evil eye, and then in brackets it says, if you are stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. See, a greedy person is usually a very self-focused, selfish person. And the some of the wealthiest people I've met in my life who were not really walking with God are some of the most depressed people I've ever met in life. So riches are not the solution to the internal problem of human beings. Because if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness Jesus finished? Well, I've got one more parable I want to bring out that also references this. And it's a parable Jesus gave. It's quite lengthy. It's in Matthew chapter 20. It's one of the last parables that he gave while he was in the world, Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. And it's the parable that reveals a certain aspect of the nature of the kingdom of heaven. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And he agreed with his laborers to pay them a denarius a day. And he sent them out. Then he went out about the third hour and hired some more. And then he went out the sixth hour and the ninth hour and the eleventh hour and hired workers each time to work in his vineyard. And then when it came time for them to get their wages the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. Hmm. 
And when the first came, or when the last, or those that were hired about the 11th hour came, they each received a denarius. And when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, but they likewise received a denarius. And when they received it, they complained against the landowner and said, these men have worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden and heat of the day. Now listen to the answer of the landowner. This is where the connection comes. The landowner said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or, listen now, is your eye evil because I am good? The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it this way. Are you jealous because I'm generous? See, people that get saved and maybe only have an opportunity to serve God six months are going to receive the gift of eternal life. People who have served God 60 years are going to receive the gift of eternal life, which is the primary, quote-unquote, payment, although that word doesn't really fit, but it's the payment for being a laborer in God's vineyard or being someone who enters into a covenant with the Most High God. Now, I do believe that there are rewards that will be given according to specific things that we've done for God in this world. And to be honest with you, it wouldn't matter to me if I got a reward or not. I just want to be in heaven. I just want to see the face of Jesus. I just want to experience that celestial world. But see, he said, is your eye evil because I am good? So those workers that had worked all day long were offended by the generosity of the landowner. And maybe some people would be offended at God for the ones he allows to get into heaven. And their eye is evil against those persons. Or in other words, they scorn them, they look down on them, they judge them, they compare themselves to them, they feel more worthy. Well, none of us are worthy of the glory of heaven. God can be generous with what he wants to pour out the way he wants to pour it out. And who am I to question him? Well, that's my little talk about the evil eye. I hope you understand it a little bit more now, and I hope you've made up your mind not to buy a red string or some kind of little charm with the hamsa or the palm of the hand with the eye on it to ward off evil. You've got the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and the word of God and the God of heaven dwelling in you. That's enough to cause any and every demon to be utterly terrified of you. And that's where your confidence should be. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. 
We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.